Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And we're live. Yes. Very cool. I can't wait to introduce you to the guest. She is a lot of everything. A sales ninja. She's been selling since she's been a kid. Nine years old. Story is all about that. Longtime marketer. Now marketing leader. And, and a thought leader as well. Also an on-air talent. Voiceover. Model. What is going on? A podcast host. Two podcasts, which we're going to talk all about podcasting and how that ties into marketing. Marketing director of Attorney Sync, Kelly Street. How are you? Hello, I'm doing so well. I am so pumped to be here. Yeah. Love it. Super excited. Anytime I get to podcast, anytime I get to basically just talk, um, it's best time ever. That's right. Talk for money. Let's do it. <laughs> exactly. And now, you know, it's different, right? Because instead of having to be on your show and ask all the questions, I get to ask all the questions. You just get to roll with it and have fun. Yeah, I, I have only been a guest on a podcast just, uh, you know, a few times. I've mostly been the person asking the questions. So I love it when the tables are turned, though. Yeah, no prep needed, right? Just show up, <laughs> make sure the lighting's good and just rock this thing. So I'm so glad you're here because the theme is around content marketing, podcast marketing, and then marketing strategy as a whole. And I know we're going to throw down, we maybe even you know, shoot at some of the past guests because I know you heard a couple episodes. So um, this is going to be fun. And so to that end, here's, here's this. This is Thor's hammer. So go ahead, take that. It's really heavy. Okay. And, and go ahead and smash for me some kind of bogus marketing strategy, a marketing myth that you've heard, or you constantly are hearing or seeing this misconception out there. It drives you crazy. Smash it once and for all. Boom. All right. So the first uh, myth that I would like to smash is that there is one marketing tactic that is going to save you, that there's one thing that you're going to do that will change your business, that will just, you know, kind of uh, get you unlimited leads. There isn't just one thing. There's no and magic button. No, there's no magic pill in life. Um, just like, just like for weight loss, there's no magic pill. Right. Um, there's, you know, you have to have a strategy. You have to look at a different, a few different pieces. Your um, marketing is the same way. And so I like to say that I take the approach of holistic marketing. Hmm. And um, I, I actually looked this up because it's a term that I've been using just for myself for a long time. Right. Um, it, we can get into this later, but I've pretty much always been the solo marketing person. Um, it, it's a little different now because now that I've been with attorneys thing for the last couple of years at an agency, um, I'm not actually the only marketing person. I'm just the, the, still the one person who's kind of leading the direction of marketing for the agency right. itself. And um, as a solo marketer, you have to kind of pull from all of these different areas because otherwise, you know, as a, you can't be a one trick pony for an entire company. Right. And I think- I only do PPC. Like, hey, I'm really good at AdWords. I, I can't tell you anything about anything else. Yeah, exactly. And you can't, you can't be that for a small business. No. Um, so you kind of need to pull in all of these different aspects of marketing. And I think sometimes- 
mid to larger size companies forget that you have to look at all of these different aspects of your marketing and it's not just, it's not just one thing. So um, I guess I, so in looking up yesterday, what does holistic marketing mean? Yeah. I didn't necessarily agree with all of the uh, things that I saw online. So I found my own little definition that I created. Cool. And so I'll just share that. Yeah, yeah. Um, holistic marketing to me means that you have a strong brand, that you know your ideal client and your values, mission, and business goals are a match for that audience. Um, so that's part A. Part B is that you're incorporating a variety of marketing methods to attract that audience. You're using content, digital, social media, referrals and relationships. Uh, for lawyers who Attorneys Think works with, uh, there's, there's so much about referrals and relationships. Right. And then C, that you are tracking and measuring the performance of your marketing efforts. That's huge. And D, last part, that your marketing matches the deliverable. So for us, this would mean that our operations team is fulfilling the agreements that we're making in our marketing. Oh, wow. A, B, C, D. A, B, C, D. Boom, mic drop. <laughs> hit, yeah. hit done now and uh, go get some margaritas, I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah, uh, maybe we might need to unpack those things. I, I think so. Let's. you want to start with... Uh, the A with the strong brand, you, is that place to start, you think? Yeah, let's start there. So okay. um, I think everything for me, I, and sometimes maybe I put a little bit too much importance on brand, okay. um, but for me, everything starts from brand because brand is not, there's such a great book called Brand It Ain't Your Logo. And I love oh. this because it is not, it, it tells you that, Brand is not your logo. It's not just about the header that you have on your website. It's so much more than that. It is your company's values. It is the mission that you set out to do every day. Your long-term business goals. All of these things kind of encapsulated in what your brand is. And most importantly, as the book points out, brand is what people think of you. It's what just... think of you. Very yeah, it's so huge. Because if you... Um, you know, and I've, I've run into this at different companies that I've been with over the years. You can think that you're, you have these certain values for your company. You can think that people, you know, think something about you. But one of the first things I did to determine um, if the branding was accurate when I started at AttorneySync is I went to our Google reviews and I looked uh, at every single one of those, all of our reviews online. That's dangerous. <laughs> it would have been, except we have, we have really great reviews. Good, good, good. Uh, <laughs> there's always a jerk out there, some salty person. You, yeah, there's, there's always somebody, but everybody knows that guy, you know, and we never pay attention to that guy. Don't be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, exactly. Um, and so I pointed out, um, I told our co-founders, I was like, okay, here are the words that are really sticking out to me. These are the things that are really defining our brand. Okay. And a few of the things were giving, knowledgeable, um, helpful, sharing, like all of this stuff that's around um, really what is actually our mission, which is to be the most trusted legal digital marketing agency. And I think kind of um, we've sort of shown that we're giving, we're creating trust. Right. Our mission is growing together. And so it really aligned there with all of that. So, so I knew we already had, you know, one great thing going for us and um, had that step on the holistic marketing chart crossed off. 
That's awesome. Yeah. And asking them. So true. I love the idea that the brand is not just what you think it is, but it's also what they think of you because that that's the full picture. You may yeah. think that you're this other thing, but really you're not, you're not, you're not the Tesla, you're the minivan, <laughs> you know? So it, yeah. that's, you got to ask it, whether it's a good news or bad, at least you know where you're at. So you can approve from there. Yeah. And being in the minivan is a great thing. Fill that need, be the minivan if that's what your customers right. want you to be. Minivan. But be the coolest friggin' awesome minivan you've ever seen. Yeah. Be the one with the DVDs in the back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Make that tan look so tan. tan <laughs> man. So good. Okay. So you start with brand. Is, uh, brand is part of A. And then, then on you went to mention the ideal client. Yes. And knowing absolutely. who they are. Mm -hmm. how, how do you do that? Do you just look at your, your order forms and see who buys the most from you? Is that <laughs> call it a day right there? Or is there something more to it? I mean, that, that can be part of it, definitely, is who, who is actually buying from you uh, because you definitely can have some misalignment with who you think you're attracting or who you want to attract and who is actually utilizing your services or right. buying your product. Yep. Um, so it, that's definitely part of it. And um, I would say look at your Google Analytics. Um, look at if you have social media profiles, look at who's interacting with those profiles, look at who is, you know, liking your company besides your mom and your 18 cousins. Um, you know, look, look at those things, who's interacting with your brand. And that gives you a really good perspective on um, mixing who's actually buying it, who's interacting with you, who's coming to your website. And you can kind of start to figure out, okay, if we're a national company, we tend to not get any interaction from people in California and more, um, you know, states in that area. And so we're kind of more of an East Coast company or a Midwest company and kind of extrapolate those little, little bits and pieces from that. Right. And it's helpful to be honest with yourself when you're doing this, to your point. Like if you don't have clients in California, then understand if that's something you want to change or at least own where you're at. And I also like to bring up not just to the stats of, you know, who's buying from you, but also who engages with you. Maybe they buy and they engage because to yeah. them, you might be a hero. You might be a hero to those people. Whereas everyone else, they just kind of casually are sending you checks for your invoices where some people you make a world of difference. And then like, that's like the sweet spot. Yeah. It's what um, Pat Flynn talks about the super fan. Um, I don't know if you've heard much at all about that or him about talking it. about that. It's um, basically that for every, um, he kind of has this great funnel that he talks about. And it's basically for that every thousand people who you have who engage with your brand, you have a hundred people who are fans and people who like you and they'll, you know, consider buying everything you do. And then from that 100, you have 10 super fans. And these are people who no matter what you're going to sell them, they will buy it, they will do it, any suggestion wow. you give them, they're on board. And, um, and so those, so you have a 1000 people that are just your, they just know you just your audience people. Audience. And, and I guess for um, that, those that terminology works best for Pat Flynn because he's kind of an online or a, um, yeah. a personality. But for a company, you can just think of it as like a thousand people who have bought your product. Right. And then from there, you have a hundred people who buy lots of products from you. Right. And then 10 people who anything you're selling. Yeah. I like those people. Shout yeah. out. People. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Text me later, super fans. 
exactly. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say I, I know about super bad, but super fan sounds better. It'd be great to have <laughs> ten super fans out there uh, in a ratio. So to have that that smaller group, that's cool. Pat mm-hmm. Blair, super fans. So we've got the strong brand. We've got the super fans. Uh, what else is in that first category for you? Um, I guess the the business goals, and that's kind of a a little bit of a smaller part, but it it really can dictate how you do your branding and how you go after and figure out those clients. Because if you want to just stay as a small company, or say you know right now you're a one million dollar revenue company and you want to stay there, then your ideal client pool can stay pretty small and you can have that, that little bit there. But if you do right. want to grow your business in the next five or 10 years, your ideal client might, you might need to have, um, you might need to figure out longer term how that could change or in the very least, make sure the audience size is there. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Make sure there's an actual number of volume of people that you can work with. I like that you said that you wanted to line up you know, the mission you have needs to line up and match what your clients are looking for. So you're telling the same, you're telling a story and it's what they need. So you're not just telling some story and like, they yeah. don't need it. I'm like, okay. But it's, it, it really, it's your mission and it's also tied into solving their problem. Yeah. Yeah. Does your company have a mission? We do. We do. Well, we, we have a why and our yeah. why is to make marketers heroes. That's our why. Yeah. Because yeah, it's not about awesome. the big company that sells sprockets. It's kind of hard to get excited about sprockets, but I really like, you know, John or Jennifer at that company who is trying, you know, trying to hustle as marketing coordinator, marketing manager, yep. wants to be that VP of marketing. It's like, how can we make them shine? So that's what we do. Exactly. And to me that, from what I know of your business, that brings perfectly true. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. How about you? What's your, um, the attorney sync mission? is growing together. So it is that as our agency grows, we want our clients' firms to grow as well. And kind of this cyclical thing of if their firms are growing, then our agency can grow and on and on and on. Yeah, that's very similar to mine. I I like how um, it's really, it kind of pushes pushes it back to them. Like, we want you to grow and we're going to grow with you, but we recognize that we do this together. Like all the boats and they're going to rise together in the harbor type thing. Yes, that's exactly. Cool. Boom. So that's A. Yep. You call A anything or is it just A? Group A. Just group A. I just did this yesterday. So <laughs> oh, no problem. It sounds like you, you should write a book actually <laughs> about all these I things. Probably should. Add that to the list of to-dos you have. <laughs> there we go. There we go. With my four other book ideas. Right. <laughs> I know. Wait till you get halfway through and you really have other ideas. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm I'm like ninety percent done a book on marketing automation. And so I'm really trying to hustle that through and finish that up. But as you get close to the end, something about it just makes it like challenging. You're like, oh, but look, it's sunny outside and there's all these things I could be doing. Yes. Uh, my um, side note, my husband's company just finished writing a book and uh, I have seen that exact process and know the last 10% is really the hardest push. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad yeah. it's not just me. <laughs> yeah. If you had said, well, you know, and he found the, the last 10% is the easiest part. I'd be like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> uh, so. So fun. So B, moving on to B. Yeah, Bravo. Tell me about Bravo. All right. So um, incorporating your variety of marketing methods. So I think this is, um, this is probably the 
sort of the easiest one that I think, um, especially medium to larger size companies can handle a little bit better is like, you've got your content, you've got your digital, you've got your social, your referrals and relationships. Where I sometimes don't see the pieces come together is that you maybe don't do the technical SEO, the digital marketing side of things with the content. Um, one of the company, the largest company I've ever worked at, um, we had a team of, you know, throughout the company, probably like 25 marketers. And um, I was still a, a solo product marketing manager in that company, but uh, there were all of these other marketers. And what I noticed was that the different areas of marketing did not communicate. There was no cross-pollination. There was no collaboration on anything. It was just, oh, hey, we're here doing the digital marketing. Uh, these other people were outsourcing the social media marketing. And they weren't trying to figure out, okay, what are the keywords that we want to put in the blog posts? And how are we going to make sure that these are attracting the audience that we want to attract? There just wasn't any of that. And I think as it, at a smaller company, that might be a little bit easier with the exception of one person can only do so much. True. Totally get that. Um, kind of sad when they're not working together. <laughs> yeah. Because SEO is only as good as the content that's getting created. So if you're not in the same team, then good luck. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, it's just one of those things where I think uh, a lot of companies are siloed or people want to own their stuff or if they are different departments, the manager really wants to hold on to that power and power, protect not. Control. Yeah, exactly. Politics. Ugh. Yeah. Politics and companies. Yep. Exactly. It's hard. And I think, oh my gosh, yeah, it is. I, that's why I'm so glad to be at a, at a small company again. Yeah. That's, honestly. You know, they have some, they have some benefits, you know? Yes, totally. Um, and, and I, so one of the other things about incorporating the variety of marketing methods is that, uh, making sure you're, you're noticing what's getting engagement and you may have things, okay. you may have times where you are spending a lot more time on your digital marketing. Like you're launching a new website and so you want to make sure that you're focusing a lot on technical SEO and that your site is structured properly so you can come up in search results, you've got your schema going, all of that good stuff. And then other times you're going to focus more on the long-term content play of creating that 10x content, which I'm obsessed with the idea of right now. Oh, very cool. Um, before we get to that, I just got to gotta mention that I love... I love a lot of things, I guess, apparently, of what we're talking about. <laughs> but um, the idea of notice what gets engagement, notice mm -hmm. what people are responding to because they're voting with their clicks, their, their attention, yes. telling you, this resonates with me. And, and to listen to that, I was, I was at a meeting a couple, a couple days ago and I was sort of listening in and uh, someone asked a marketing team, what campaigns really work for you right now? We'll talk about later. Talk about right now. What pages on your site get the most attention? What, what drives the most conversion? What campaigns drive the best leads, the ones that actually buy from you? Really good question. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people necessarily know that off the bat. So they had some homework to do. And I, you know, anyone listening to this even, and I think even for myself, thinking about that, do I even know what's working? Am I listening to what's getting that engagement? Yeah. Go to your Google Analytics. Figure out what's converting. Find those web conversions for your goal page of your post contact form and 
it'll it could be pretty enlightening. Hundred percent. I took yeah. that. That's exactly it. You know, listen to that data. Go go seek it out. Understand what's happening, for sure. Mm. So tell me about the ten x content. Oh, 10x content. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold up a book here. So everybody uh, who is just listening, I will also tell you what it is. So, uh, 10x marketing formula by Garrett Moon. Uh, I am so obsessed with this book. He is the, the author is the, uh, CEO of CoSchedule, which is a marketing calendar, excuse me, uh, a marketing calendar. And, uh, Although we don't use it, partly because it's just more than we would need to do for our sure. social media, yeah. um, he is great at figuring out content hacks and, um, and I mean, not just hacks because hacks is really kind of has this bad notion of like it does doesn't it like hacky like hackish. Yeah only partially thought through. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's not going to work long term, right. but his hacks are actually longer term uh, goal plans and that sort of thing. And he really covers everything email as well, which uh, email is a medium that I, I think is definitely being underutilized and uh, we could probably do a little bit more with, you just have to do it in a different way than people did email marketing even two or three years ago. Right. I lo- it's a holistic approach, which ties into the holistic marketing. Yes. And because he's a scheduling CEO, his, his app and whatnot, he's probably thinking big picture too. He's thinking holistically of all the different things that could tie in yeah. to the date on the calendar. Exactly. Sweet. Exactly. I'll, ha- I'll have to uh, get his book. Reach out. Maybe we could chat with him on here. You never know. Oh yeah. I, you know what? I have not thought about reaching out to him for one of our podcasts, but I really, I really should think that actually gives me to it. <laughs> I, I was just thinking that. I'm get an email. We should use the same sentence though in the email. Yeah. Maybe like the, the opening line or maybe like the closing line, just so he, he's like, huh, interesting thing. We're both right about that. Like yeah. this podcast is more fun than going to the zoo, right? We both put that and it's like totally different podcasts, different people. How come they both said that? It's so weird. So weird. And he yeah. wouldn't know unless he listened to this podcast. No. I'm sure his assistant, it would probably be the one who's like, this is really weird. But anyway. Right. <laughs> so, okay. That makes sense. The variety of methods, incorporating them all together, yeah. not being a silo, busting out of that. Yeah. Cool. And then we've already kind of started to talk about the tracking and measuring. Right. Uh, a little bit with the, with the conversions. But that really is, I mean, that's such a huge part of things. Not only, uh, especially as you mentioned, tracking the engagement engagement is one key indicator and engagement with, as we mentioned earlier, your ideal client. So if you're getting engagement, depending on the field that you're in, if you're getting engagement from people who would never buy your product or who aren't your ideal client, then you need to think about the messaging that you're using. So tracking and measuring can be helpful for those things too. That's a trap. Tracking and measuring and paying into the attention you get from people who aren't your ideal customer or will never be your customer. Yeah. Exactly. It looks great. You have 12,000 <laughs> yeah. you know, 12, followers or you have 8,000 hits to that site, that blog page. But if they're all the wrong people, then yes, maybe it wasn't worth that effort. 
Yes. Oh, and um, here's okay. So one thing on the audience that you just reminded me of. Yeah. Uh, I, there are definite a lot more brands that I'm seeing, or smaller companies, I should even say, who are buying their followers or mm. buying likes and tweets and shares. Totally. I did I that know. like a couple of weeks ago to try it out. You did? Yeah, I'm I tried it so out. against it. How did it work for you? Oh, it wasn't for anything that, that like mattered, mattered. It was yeah. just kind of an experiment to see what would happen. Um, but go ahead. You, you go first and I'll tell you my story. Um, so <laughs> so I don't incriminate story. myself too much. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just fairly anti it because I think working in legal adjacent um, like we do with working with a lot of lawyers, I think of the ethical side of things of that it's for, especially for influencers, you're, you're padding what your real reach is and businesses are reaching out to you to try to get, and I think businesses are a lot smarter now and influencer agencies really help filter this, but you're unethical. And uh, so I think of that for any kind of business as well. And I wrote a blog post actually about the top lawyers of Instagram. And one of the lawyers, I love his content. I love what he's putting out there. He's getting great engagement, but he chose to buy some followers and I could pick it out right away. I knew exactly how, how who they were. Uh, he said, I actually talked to him about it. I had him on our podcast clienting and he admitted that I believe there were about 600. He said he bought. Oh, okay. That's not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> not bad at all. But I guess in that in that you know niche field, like that might be a bit. And so you would look and go, wow, one of the most followed, you know, legal marketers of the world, kind of thing. Yeah, well, and in his case, it was really interesting because his clientele are influencers and athletes, and so he was trying to, and he admitted he was trying to kind of pad his follower ratio a little bit so yeah. that he would attract the audience that he was building himself up to be part of. Right. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think the good news here um, is that well, now I did a long time ago um, for a company that I, I just started at and they were a software company that's been around for like 10 years, mm-hmm. never had Twitter. So, so I created their Twitter account and they've got like eight followers and they're this, you know, they employ 30 people. They're big in the ecosystem yep. and they're, they're nothing. So did a little experiment to see what you could buy there. And then uh, more recently tried it again. I will say on Twitter, they've, they've definitely cracked down on it. So it, yeah. to the point where you can't buy uh, very many at all. I think you can only, only like a thousand people now, but in wow. the past, and, and I've seen you know, blog posts about this where politicians like a Hillary Clinton or Obama or, um, uh, also, uh, I think it's Lady Gaga, Oprah, a couple other people have actually purchased millions of followers to pad sure. the million line. Like, I, you know, we mm-hmm. talk about 600 and 1,000, but they buying millions of followers. I, it probably makes sense. Like, ooh, yeah. look at the sway here and these people. But, um, but yeah, it, it, I definitely see what you're talking about. It, it is one of those, you know, it's either gray area, if you consider all those movie stars doing it for PR, or it's yeah. just if it's a protected land and it's a, it's a bad thing. Yeah. What do you think? You think it's a bad thing? Just don't do it. Oh, I, d- I think it's a terrible thing and you should absolutely not do it. And, and <laughs> I think, I think the consequences of doing that is that you end up, you never know One of the, the system might find out and then either you get banned or you lose your profile or exactly. you just, 
you should just feel bad at night is what I think we're trying to say here. <laughs> you just go yeah. home and be like, I should have done that. <laughs> exactly. Well, the good news is they're cracking down. So I think it's a lot harder these days to, to do that. Instagram, I could see is because it's newer-ish that the controls necessarily aren't in place to do that. And yeah. honestly, it's, it's not the thing. Like I have something like 2,000 followers and they're all real people and I'm cool with that. And I know most of them. Yeah. And we follow each other, right? So versus I could be crazy, get one of those apps that auto follows people and they follow me back and then I unfollow them and they wake up the next day and have, you know, 100,000 followers, but they wouldn't be real. Yeah. And I'd, I'd always question the engagement of that too. And the threshold for influencer status can mm. be as low as 10,000 now. Wow. So if you have 10,000 followers, you can get advertisements and companies to, you know, sponsor your posts and that sort of thing at right. this point. That would definitely be, because if you start talking about money there, yes, I totally, because that would actually be illegal at that point. That would be like fraud. So, yes. uh, <laughs> so don't do that for sure. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So yes. that's tracking measuring. And then yes. finally D is... Uh, is what did it, it all matches or how, how do you yep, the, uh, that your marketing matches the deliverable. So um, I gave the example of our operations team. We um, so one of our, one of our kind of unique elements of our company, I guess I'll say is that our uh, contracts are only month to month. And so uh, if we, if our finance or billing or legal team were to say, you know what, actually we're going to do a two year long contract for this one person, then what we're delivering is not matching the, mm. you know, what we're actually promising people in our marketing. And you can do this in for product or your, any of your services really, you know, for your company and the service that you're providing if you're saying, hey, we're going to make your marketing team or we're going to make your marketing efforts look like you're a hero, then if you're not delivering on that, which, you know, sometimes that's going to happen. Sometimes things are going to happen. But for the most part, you're delivering on making that marketing team look like a hero. Right. Otherwise, it's like bait and switchy. Back to that, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Is it a gray area? If you're promising something and you're not delivering it, then what are you doing? And you're going to, you know, the market will correct itself and you will find no customers left. Yes, exactly. And it kind of, the other thing that I think of, at least in my mind about holistic marketing, is that it is a cyclical sort of thing. So, you're starting off with the brand, the mission, the values, you're creating the, you know, doing the methods that are the actual marketing push, you're tracking and measuring, you're fulfilling on those promises that you're making to the marketplace. And then it comes back around because once you deliver on those things, then you've got your brand and your mission and you're following through on that stuff. Boom. Yeah. I Boom. love it. Exactly. Looking at all the parts and how they all come together makes so much more sense than just trying to zero in on one thing yeah like testing a b testing will do it that'll fix everything no it's not like that might be a piece of the puzzle here but look at them and, and i also like the order that, that your list comes in too because you're, you're starting in the right place you're starting with the brand and thinking about the customer and who your ideal client is and then you're getting into all the, the worky do stuff where you start going out and getting more mm -hmm. of them but you thought about that first 
Thank you. And I like your example of the, the AB testing. Mm. That's so important because you can do all the AB testing you want, but if you don't know who your ideal client is, if you don't know your audience, if you don't have the right content to go along with it, all of that stuff, it, you know, you're missing those things. No amount of AB testing in the world is going to get you to the answer that you want. Totally. And, and if you don't, if you do an AB test and one of them wins and you have no idea why it won, then you, you, you haven't gained anything. You know, there's yeah. no traction there. Um, you are just on a slippery slope. Uh, the other thing was, I think uh, someone saw an 89% increase in open rates when they used emoticons in their subject line. But it's like, is that really the case? And yeah. are, are the right people opening those emails? Or do you know what you're ta even talking about? So yes. yeah, that, it's a slippery slope if you just focus solely on the tactics or solely on the technology. Yeah. And the, you know, the subject line thing is, I think there's some, there's some good data there and there's some interesting thoughts with, you know, um, subject lines that will get more open rates, Sure. but you could put a lot of different things in a subject line that will get people to open an email, but it's, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of bait and switch. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, be the best worst cases of bait and switch I've experienced was this company and you know, here I'm like the marketing automation guy. I like to talk about it all the time. I can't stop talking about Pardot and marketing automation. And so here I'm on Facebook. Probably Facebook was listening to me somewhere. And, they, <laughs> and so they showed me an ad had marketing automation plus AI, which is all the rage these days. And so I yes. thought, hmm, I could use some clarity on that topic. And so I, and I know what's going on because I'm a marketer and I click on their Facebook ad and probably cost them $5, hopefully. And yep. then um, get to their form and I fill out their form. I know what they're doing, but I'm like, it's very meta. I'm like observing yeah. what's happening. And then I get the white paper excitedly like a kid on Christmas. And I open it up. Yes. And it's like bag of coal. It was beautiful. It was well designed, but it said absolutely nothing. It was terrible. It was worse than terrible. Uh -huh. and, and so I was like, I got tricked, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, I got tricked. And then I always get kind of like, you want to get revenge. And sure enough, they <laughs> called me the next day. SDR called me, poor person. <laughs> and that was nice, but I was like, look, never call me again. I don't want to do business with your company. Like you tricked me into getting this white paper. So I'm all good, thanks. Yeah, that's the worst. And then if somebody does that, like actually comments on the post itself and they're like, this white paper was garbage. Yeah. Oh, I did that recently. <laughs> I did that recently. Someone was posting like this really sappy thing on Facebook about this. It was an ad for CEOs. I was like, oh, what are you even talking? So, but the ad kept showing up to me, different ads. You would repost uh, the ad and it kept, so I kept commenting on each one because I think it cost them money. So I was kind of like, stop giving these bad, you know, doing these bad ads, but what can you do? It's a tough world out there. It is. So, so tell me, you've got two podcasts, by the way, this is all really good and you really need to write a book. Thank about you. holistic marketing, maybe an ebook. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to spend the rest of your life writing, um, but uh, or you just do a podcast about the whole. Well, you just just, just did one, just transcribed. Oh my gosh! Snap. Meta. Meta. So, so talk, let's talk about podcasts because you've got two, yes. and yes. I'd love to hear how you got into them. And I know there's, you know, I'm kind of this sort of happy honeymoon phase of podcasts where I'm like everyone should do them. But I think you've got a different approach to that. So like, tell me about you and podcasts and you're taking all this. Yeah. Okay. So um, I, we can get more into my background a little bit later. I know you yeah. like to save that for the end, but I will, one thing from my background that I will say is 
at a previous company, I started an internal podcast. Okay. So a 600 person company. And there was a kind of a theme for me is there was a lot of silo departments and, you know, people weren't communicating and there were three different branches of this company and they decided to smash them all together at one point. And it was, yes, (laughs) exactly. Uh, It was not ideal, but people were figuring stuff out. And so I decided one of my great dreams in life would be to be a a company cheerleader, like an internal company cheerleader to be like, yeah, everybody, we're all awesome. Let's all work together. Yeah. And, um, And so with that hat on, one of the things I did was create this internal podcast. And so what I did was once a week, I would interview someone from within the company And I would kind of take different people from different branches of the company and I would interview them probably about a half an hour interview of their history with the company, um, things they like to do outside of work and what they see the direction of the company, all that good stuff. And we released it internally and people really loved it and it got a great response. So when I left that company and started at Attorney Sync, I was like, Hey, one of the co-founders of our company, was like, Hagee, we need to start a podcast. And he was like, I've been thinking of that too. We should start a podcast. Uh, So we did. And I, because of my experience before, I knew a little bit about how to work it and what to do. But he and I did a ton of research. We came up with the name. It's all, I believe was all on him to come up with the name, Clienting, for our first podcast. Nice. And he and I started by co-hosting a few episodes together and then started interviewing lawyers about what they were doing for their marketing efforts. Mm -hmm. And we're a year and a half in and it's awesome. But a few things, a few months into starting clienting, we were approached by the Legal Talk Network, which is a cool company that is a network of legal podcasts. And so they kind of, they have a few different podcasts that they promote or produce and then a couple that are um, that are on their network. And so we started, we took over a podcast that had kind of died down a little bit for them called Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. Okay. And so we now have been co-hosting that podcast for about a year as well. Wow. Now, I think it was, uh, was it might have been that one that I heard. Uh, yeah. You're both on that, you and Guy as well? Yes. In yep. and, and the two of you talking together, while interviewing the other person. I had a lot of fun just listening to the two of you banter back and forth. It was really cool. Oh, thank you. You'll have to check out Clienting then because we have a few episodes where it's just Guy and I, and we sort of harass each other a little bit, but also talk about marketing stuff. <laughs> That's the best kind. We just start poking at each other and <laughs> it just makes for a good time. Yeah, I, I think as long as there's two people, it, they have that communication. Um, yeah. Cool. Exactly. Okay. So you, you got into podcasts. Yeah. By the way, the internal thing sounds fantastic, especially for the larger companies. I could see a lot of companies should be getting into that. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a really interesting tool that uh, I don't know if there are other companies doing it. I would personally, if I would love to hear from companies that do have one because yeah. I, I would love to know how it's working out for them. But yeah, it was, it was really fun. 
that is cool. And it highlights people and tells them, hey, you're important. And yeah. we want you to be on the show and hear what you're up to. And it gives other people in the company the chance to, to learn more about them. To understand exactly. what's going on. Who are these people? Exactly. Turns your, your exactly. own team into rock stars internally. Hey, I yeah. saw, you on the, saw you on the podcast. I heard you on the podcast. That's really cool. My family's from Des Moines as well. You know, like one of those kind of things with people yeah. walking around the office. That's, that's fantastic. And that happened. That yeah, was one I of the things it. that totally happened. It was awesome. Yeah, all these sort of just connections that people make with people in other departments they didn't even know about. Yeah. And for that company, because there were three departments that were getting, um, or three different branches of the business that were getting put together, there were... I think six different corporate offices across the United States. Okay. And so there, a lot of these people didn't even work together, but it was like the one time a year when everyone was together, they would then be able to say, Oh, I heard your episode of behind the science. And now I, you know, have a understand what it is that you actually do here. Yeah. <laughs> that is cool. So everyone should do a podcast. Uh, probably not. No? Definitely not. Oh, it's like Oprah, <laughs> you get a podcast and you get a podcast. Oprah, no. sit down. No. <laughs> so you like the podcast Grinch now or what's the deal? No. I Okay. I'm definitely not the podcast Grinch. I have two of them. So that would be incredibly hypocritical. Right. Um, here's my beef with people saying that you should. So my other myth, boom, that I'll um, crush that crush that myth is that everyone should start a podcast. Okay. No, you should start a podcast if you know that your audience would listen to a podcast. Chicken and the egg. How, how are you going to know? How are you going to know? Maybe you got to make one. I think you can, you can pretty, um, there are a lot of statistics out there about who listens to podcasts oh, okay. and, um, and at least you know, self-reported, I should say, because, you know, for everyone who doesn't know, and so I'm, I'm really sorry, Casey, if this is, uh, not allowed to say, but as a podcaster, you know, and I know that metrics for podcast listenership are not there. Um, it's just yeah, a little, little, yeah, yeah a, little, a little fuzzy. So it is, it is hard as a podcaster to understand who your audience is unless you know that they're listening and they tell you. So right. you're right. Chicken and egg situation. But if you know your ideal client and you have that data to show you who is using your service or product or buying your product, then you can know a little bit. And also you could ask your clients or the people who buy your product. You could try to do some sort of a survey thing, a user survey and say, Hey, do you listen to a podcast? What do you like about them? That kind of thing, especially for the larger companies that are, that are listening. You could do something like that if you've got a little more power behind you. Yeah. Uh, But I think also, so the other, so do you, do you think there's some industries where just nobody listens to them or maybe, you have people that just by and large don't listen, in which case maybe you shouldn't have one because you're going to take all this time to create content. And if no one's going to yeah. listen to it, then. I don't think, uh, I, I cannot think of an industry where they wouldn't listen to podcasts. Poultry, because poultry, chickens. I I'm think, guessing. I don't know. Well, depending on, <laughs> that's such a good, um, depending on who you're trying to attract, if you're talking about poultry farmers, yeah. there yeah. are lots of farmers that listen to podcasts because the they're tractor. out on their tractor. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but poultry executives. 
there we go. poultry executives. I mean, that is, that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. You, you've got to know your audience. Right. Um, it and all not, goes back to that question, really. Yeah. Your audience. Yeah. Like we knew there was a market for lawyers listening to podcasts because there were already podcasts out there that were successful and they were looking for a good, consistent podcast that would talk about legal marketing. Makes sense. So you got to make sure you have an audience. Yes. Any other reasons to not start a podcast? Uh, if you don't know why that you're going to do it and you don't know why someone would want to listen to you. Um, if you don't have, there are so many things that if you don't have them defined, then you shouldn't start a podcast. So if you don't have your audience defined, if you don't understand why someone would listen to it, if you don't understand who's going to host it, how, um, how the, what the podcast format will be, who the podcast will serve, what you'll talk about, um, when you'll record it, what the, did I already say schedule? There are so many things. Got it. There's a lot of questions you just asked just now. You're right. There's, so don't just wing it, but ask those questions and answer them. And if the answers still say do one, maybe try it out. Yeah. But don't just wing it and not ask these questions because you might be making your show for the wrong, the wrong persona, the wrong, you're not, you're not targeting that buyer anymore. Now you're off in the wilderness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, so that's my, that's my big thing is just start a podcast. If you have the answers to all of those questions, Mm -hmm. if you don't wait until you've got the answers or you might run through that list that I just rambled off and go, you're right. I don't think I can commit to a weekly podcast schedule because if you're going to be managing a lot of this yourself, or even if you're outsourcing it, as I'm Casey, I'm sure you can attest to, it takes hours to be able to figure out, to do guest outreach, to do recording, to do the prep call, to do the, if, especially if you're going to make a blog post out of the episode afterwards to do that, to upload and listen. If you're going to do editing yourself, that's a huge commitment. There are so many factors that go into just the one hour episode that you've got to commit and be able to fit that into your, into your work week and into your marketing schedule itself. Right. Commit to that schedule, answer these questions. There's so many factors. So if you need to get help, but, but address these, these questions, question, where does the, where did the questions come from? It sounds like, I mean, obviously your expertise, all these questions have somehow come up here and there. Had you thought of those for your internal podcast or did all these experiences kind of bring to light that there's all these things that need to get answered? Yeah. So that's a great question. Thank you. Sure. Um, so I, I took these questions from a blog post I wrote for a, um, a website called lawyerist.com. I wrote all about, you know, why lawyers maybe shouldn't start their own podcast. <laughs> and I got all of these questions from definitely from my experience. And so when I was starting that internal podcast, I spent a lot of time researching and kind of looking up like, how does this work and what do you do? And it was for that, it was a bit of trial and error. And then when we started clienting, I knew I wanted to be really clear on what we were doing, how we were going to do it, why we were doing it. All of those elements had to be in place because I'm sure, you know, I'm sure all of the listeners have had podcasts that they just fell in love with and were like, this is great. 
and then they stopped producing episodes or their schedule fell off and mm. they were like, I don't, you know, that used to come out every Tuesday morning and now where is my episode of best podcast ever? Yeah, it's a routine. It's a habit. So if you can't get that fixed, you're going to have to seek it elsewhere. Exactly. And so I, di I didn't want to do that for our listeners. Mm -hmm. And even if there were only going to be 50 listeners, I didn't want to do that to them. So I just started off with having all of these elements in place. Makes sense. Makes total sense. So it's not necessarily don't start a podcast, but don't just willy nilly jump into one without considering all these factors because might, you might be wasting your time. And I think this also ties back to the holistic approach. Don't just zero in as like, oh, podcast, golden answer. This will get me all the business I ever need. I'll just neglect everything else and do a podcast. It's like, that's not it. Yeah. Picture. Yeah. I think I, you know, I'm starting to notice there's a real pattern here for me that I don't think I noticed before doing this podcast with you. Yeah. And that is really the, you know, how I approach things is really just this holistic approach and maybe it comes from loving yoga or something, but. Oh, uh, there we go. I'll have to talk about <laughs> yoga uh, for sure. Um, and eventually talk you into writing that book. Yeah. And I'll buy a copy. So oh, who, you. who are you? The holistic marketer. How, how did you become this i know you've done sales and marketing and like take us back to like little kelly back in the day did you always know you're destined to be a marketer and a podcaster and a tv personality there you go little kelly um little kelly had no idea what um I, adult kelly still has no idea what she wants to when she grows <laughs> True, up right I, Still don't think I could answer that question, but yeah, so I grew up in a teeny tiny town in northern Minnesota, a town of 300 people. Wow. So small. And I was so fortunate to have grown up in a family business. My parents were so young and so poor when they got married. And uh, eventually, you know, when I was about four years old, decided, you know what? We've got no other, nothing to lose. Let's start a business. And in the neighboring town, which was still very tiny, they started a store and it was called Quality Home Center. And it was basically a Sears store without the clothing. So okay. they sold appliances, TVs, um, satellite dishes, which were so popular in the small town at the time, and um, furniture and lawn and garden equipment. Okay. And so from the time I was about four years old, I was getting paid 25 cents to dust the furniture and to vacuum with my tiny little four-year-old arm. That's cool. They paid you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was really lucky for that. Yeah. Um, it wasn't so great when, they, when I was about nine and I started doing sales. They started paying me $5 an hour, which was pretty great for the time. Wow. And uh, then I had to start buying my own school clothes. So not, Ooh. not so fun there. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. You always want to stay in, stay in style. Yep. But, uh, that's hard. So you had, yep. you had to work. So that must've taught you a thousand lessons though, to be, ha to be able to work and participate in the family business and contribute, but at the same time to know where that pair of new jeans came from, you know, how exactly. many hours it took to do that. Yep. And, and it's why I'm so obsessed with small business to this day. I just, there is nothing more satisfying than helping a small business stay afloat. Yeah. So true. So, yeah. cause it, it matters. It's, yeah. it, it's back to real people again. Yeah. Um, it's easier to see that there's real people right behind the register or right behind 
that, that sign hanging up outside. Yeah, exactly. It's probably 100% of the reason why I married an entrepreneur is, is that I'm like, yes, someone else who has, who had the courage to start a business and totally. who's just like working their behind off to keep it going every day. It'll typically guarantee that you'll stay around a small business because even if it grows, they're going to eventually want to sell it so they can get back to that small business and grow something else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very cool. So, so, and then eventually came time for school. How did, I think you went marketing for that. How how did Uh, you, how did you choose? Did you know? Yeah, I, um, so I moved out of that small town the day after I graduated, I was so ready to get out. And I did not plan on going to college. My, neither of my parents did. Right. I was, when I did end up graduating, I was the first person in my family on both sides to have a four-year degree. Wow. And so, um, and I'm, you know, I'm only 32 as of the recording of this. So that's not, <laughs> that's, you know, not too long ago. And um, so first person and really just school was something that was kind of a luxury in my family. But I made the leap and I was like, you know what, if I'm going to get anywhere in this world, I know I at least need a bachelor's degree. So, um, Did someone tell you that or did you just kind of put two and two together for that? I just kind of put two and two together. You didn't grow up around it. So that's why I asked. Yeah. Yeah. That and I love learning. So I just, I just wanted to keep learning. I missed school. Do you miss it now? I do. Yes. I do. Go back and get something. Yeah, I'm I'm halfway through a master's degree, but I I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, sick! Yeah, well, the constant love for learning, though, I totally get yeah. it because you're growing brain cells and it's always like working out, but working out your head. Yeah, exactly. Now I tend to actually listen to podcasts for most of my education. I think. To- well, it's it's that much more up to date and recent. Yeah, exactly. Hard, hard to fight that. So, so, okay, so you went to school. Yes. And then- so I went to the University of Minnesota. Okay. Got my. Don't I don't hear that accent, like that northern Minnesota accent. Thank you so much. How did you, how did you kill that? Um, it ties into my video, my, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting words now. We've been talking for a long time. Nah. Um, <laughs> a good long time. Um, it ties into like my video and, uh, and that sort of stuff, kind of that background Okay. that I used to watch the news and national news mm-hmm. and I would copy the exact way that they said everything because I knew as a young teen that Minnesotans were teased for their accents <laughs> and I did not want to be Fargo. Fargo, right. <laughs> so I, I just decided that I would drop it. So I worked really hard on it and there we go. How old were you when you, when you did that? Um, probably about 12 or that's probably the right time to do it. And, but fascinating that you just would listen to the news and news is, isn't there a word for what news is? It's that it's a non-accent. Yes, exactly. Do you know what they, what do they call it? There's like a word for that. I can't, I I can't remember. I probably should know that, but yes, they have sort of a, they particularly work on for national news, having a non-accent. So it's, um, it's, you don't want to sound like you're from New York. You don't want to sound like you're from California or the South or the North. You want to sound like you're just kind of a middle, middle right. no accent accent. Yeah. Neutral, right? It's like yes. nothing to it. So that's cool that you did that. So not only did you kind of sense that you needed to get to college and get some more learning and you missed that, but also that something told you that 
that maybe I want to try to speak like these people. But first of all, the fact that you could tell that you weren't is fascinating too, because a lot of people can't tell when they have an accent, let alone to speak someone else's. Yeah. I just, I, I think because so many people in my family had a stronger accent than I did that I, oh, that I was, was just like, oh, I, you know, they, they say that word really intensely. And yeah. I do, I will, I will say, if you catch me off guard, I will say some things with a lot more of an accent. <laughs> Drinking at parties and you're like, whoa, <laughs> Fargo comes out and you, oh, that's so crazy. Okay. So you, so out of school, how did you end up getting into, you know, on-camera work and all that? Did you go right into marketing or like how did that all sort out? I went right into marketing before I graduated from college. I was lucky enough to get a job with a matchmaker and life coach actually wow. doing the marketing and kind of sales and intake for that company. And that was such a crazy experience. We actually, while I worked for that company, we shot a pilot for the own network. Oh, wow. Oprah's, Oprah's channel, right? Yeah. Her network. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it didn't, that version of the show didn't end up getting picked up, but it really got me into this understanding how the television industry and TV shows work. And right. so now when I see them later on, um, reality shows, especially I'm like, yep, that was probably not the original concept they came up with. I wonder how many concepts they had to go through. Right. Right. Wow. See behind the scenes, look at that. And also the matchmaking business. Is that like a big business? Um, it, it is bigger than people would think. And sure. it is fraught with all sorts of high emotions, um, good and bad. And was really, yeah. really fascinating to be doing the marketing for that company. And this was pre like, social media really becoming something that businesses did at all. Right. And so it was really, uh, managing the website, blog post writing and email marketing, and then kind of the client management side of things. Right. And those are the days before the websites, the dating sites and all that, right? Back, yeah, exactly. Back so this, was, this was the option, especially for busy people. Um, so it's interesting. I, I just remember seeing in like the Sky Mall magazine on airplanes ads yeah. for matchmakers, but that was the only exposure I've seen to that. Yeah. And they still, they still have a bunch of ads in there. Um, not the company I worked for, right. but there are, there are definitely still matchmaker ads in there because hey, when you're a busy traveling professional and you don't have the time, paying someone else to pick someone out in the world for you could actually work out, possibly. Well, you outsource everything else. Why not that? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think that might have actually been one of the ad taglines that I used at one point. <laughs> I believe it. It's a good yeah. one. Yeah. I like that. Might as well. There you go. Uh, so cool. Okay. So you, you got into that and, and sort of cut your teeth in the marketing world that way. Yep. And um, then had probably the worst marketing job I've ever had as a project manager for gas station advertising. Um, all spreadsheets all the time, managing a call center. It was really crazy. Sounds um, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> I was um, sort of saved by a former romantic partner um, was starting a gym and needed some help with that. And so was starting that. So I left and did that and took care of that for a few years, mm. sometimes full-time, sometimes part-time, you know, small business, depending on what, <laughs> what yeah, it works out business. as. And, um, and that was, that was good to be back in kind of the, the management of a small business. Again, I, I really 
enjoyed that time for, for those aspects of things. And really from the grassroots, that mm. was, that was a big reminder to me again of like, oh yeah, here's how you start doing all those things and added the social media element a bit. Right. Very cool. Yeah. How did you get to where you're at today? How did you get to Attorney Sync? Um, I was really, really fortunate to have known Guy Sakalakis, who's one of the co-founders of the company through my husband and um, who's kind of also in the legal adjacent mm -hmm. field. And new Guy, I was kind of looking for what's next at my previous company, um, was just, you know, with all the mergers and all this stuff, it was just really kind of a chaotic work environment. And I was like, time to go back to a small company and was thinking about different things I could do. My husband introduced me to Guy. We, um, I wrote my job description and then two weeks later I was starting with the company and here I am two years later. Man. Yeah. What a crazy, crazy whirlwind to, to get what? where you're at. Question for you with all these different experiences and, and even the bad ones, honestly, I think we learn a lot from the bad ones. Um, if you were to give advice to yourself getting into your marketing career at the very beginning, like what would you tell yourself? What would you encourage yourself to do or not do? Ah, okay. So this is great. I, I love that you asked this and I've listened to a few episodes of your, of your podcast. So I knew you were going to ask oh, this. Stop. <laughs> okay, <laughs> stop. cool. Um, give, me some more. give me some more. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> oh, I will say before, before I give myself advice, I will say your episode on mindful marketing, which obviously really rings true for me. That was so great. She was a wonderful guest and really had some, um, some good perspective to say on that. So totally kudos, agree. Kudos to her. Fantastic. Um, but my, so my advice that I was thinking about was, um, this is so perfect is not all of your jobs in marketing will be great but you'll learn something from all of them. And a traditional path sucks. Don't worry about your windy road. I like that. Boom. Boom. Oh, so good. That's like, a, that's even a, a sound bite, if you will. It, it's hard to, to, to take a, a larger concept and, and boil it down. So not all jobs will be great, but you'll learn from all. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the thing of life though? is that not everything is going to be great, but you're going to learn something from all of it. Yeah. And then that second part, that it was the traditional path. A traditional path sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? If, if a traditional path is something that people want, then, then it won't. But I think for me, I'm, um, I, I mean, I've been working since I was four years old. A traditional path is not going to work for, for this person right here. Right. Right. It's like, hello. I was made in the cash register at a <laughs> probably like eight, you know, counting exactly. chain. Yeah. Sold my elementary school principal a satellite dish. Like, Did you that's, really? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Especially in a small town, you're the centerpiece where you're the, the shop that sells the things people need. Exactly. That's awesome. that so cool. I, I feel the same way about the traditional path versus the windy road. It may be uncomfortable sometimes and you wish it was this sort of smooth paved thing but it could be way more fun to run on a trail, you know, yeah. leaves and roots and all that. Learn from it. And if you trip up, you're like, okay, I should pick my feet up next time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There are definitely days when I, when I have wished that I could be the person who would just get into a role and like be happy in it for 40 years. But you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, I solved that problem. Now what's next? 
Right, right. And if that's your thing, good on you because it'll, it'll save you a lot of heartache if you can find that thing and stay on that path, you know, if it is that straight golden path. But for some of us, we want to get that variety. So I totally, I totally buy into that for sure. There you go. Got to mix it up. Exactly. This is, this is amazing. Where can people connect with you? Because if they need just more Kelly, then <laughs> where do they do that? Where do they connect? Twitters, LinkedIn, what, what's good? All right. I can't imagine anyone would need more Kelly after this. I'm such a talker. No, I'm just kidding. Well, um, yeah, episode two, <laughs> three and four. Yeah. There totally. you go. There you go. Um, well, of course you can find me on the clienting podcast and the lunch hour legal marketing podcast. Okay. Um, but if you want to connect with me directly, I'm on Twitter at Kelly Ann street. So K E L L Y A N N street, just like you drive on. Um, and if you want to check out our company and what we're doing, we're over at attorneysync.com. Love that. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. I love this holistic approach. Awesome. I'm so glad it, it resonates with you and I hope it does the same for all the listeners. I, I, I will still buy the first copy or two or three that, that uh, when it comes out. So I will stay tuned to that. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and so for the people listening, if you learned something, and I know you did because I literally have run out of paper over here. Oh um, so share this with someone else so that you could be a thought leader in your space and, and get this information out there. So hopefully people can break through those silos and be holistic. Uh, and so Kelly, thank you again. This has been fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much. It has been awesome. I've so enjoyed talking with you. Totally. And the time has flown by. Yes, it has. <laughs> awesome. Well, to everyone out there listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.